Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, Welcome to Successful Life Podcast. This is your host, Corey Barrier, and I have Ryan Williams with me today. So, Ryan, what's going on, man? Dude, thanks for having me, man. It's another Monday. Trying to get after it. I love it, man. I love it. So, um, so we're going to start out and just have Ryan, I just want you to talk and tell me a little bit about yourself and where you what you've done and uh some good stuff some bad stuff and you got quite, <laughs> quite a resume dude yeah I'm, i don't know man i'm still trying to build it like some days i feel like i'm you know look back on what i've done and think holy shit how did i fucking survive all that crap and then other days i'm like do what am i doing i'm just getting started um but yeah man it's been it's been a long journey up to this point i think Dude, the biggest thing is just learning along the way and kind of like self-discovery and realizing that I'm not that cool and not that important, <laughs> but then also like nobody else is either. So realizing we're all kind of on the same playing field, helped out a lot. Um, and I'm, you know, like most people, I'm still trying to find out what my, you know, perspective is or, or superpower is like what my angle is like what I'm really good at um there are a few things that I'm I'm pretty good at that I'm okay at but uh like the more podcasts I do and the more the more I, I talk with you know guys like you who are interested in doing their own thing we're all on you know different journeys but going a similar direction the more I realize that some of the things I took for granted in my past uh you know turned out to be my biggest assets like for instance, growing up, I went to, I never went to any school longer than two years, like ever since I was, you know, in diapers. I went to five different high schools in three different states, uh, didn't graduate any of them, dropped out halfway through my senior year. And I hated it at the time uh, because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't want to go through shit like that. But man, uh, the things that I was able to learn because of that have really helped shape me as an adult in, in more ways than I ever could have expected as a kid. Um, and so it's going through those things that I just thought like, you know, they suck at the time and you're just a kid. So you don't really realize like how impactful some of these things are as you're going through them. But now looking back, um, I realized that was one of my biggest assets was being able to go through so many schools and reinvent myself at every school I ever went to, because, you know, as, as a kid, as a human, generally, you're constantly like 
you know, shedding old skin and, and becoming a new, better version of yourself. And dude, it kind of sucks. Like if you're stuck in school with a bunch of kids that, that have known you for 10 years or, you know, longer sometimes, um, you kind of end up getting stuck in the roles that they have chiseled out for you. So you might do something dumb when you're like 12 and then, you know, five years later in high school and it still gets brought up by certain groups of people. And, you know, it could be hugely impactful on the way you view yourself. So for me, I was really freed up from a lot of that. So I went from like, you know, I hung out with everybody from nerds to the jocks, to the cool kids, to the goth, you know, like I hung out with everybody. And, um, I was always able to play and dabble in these different areas because, you know, I'd be a dork at one school. This is before the internet, of course. So like, <laughs> nobody would track me on social media. <laughs> can you imagine, dude? Yeah, if, can you imagine if social media would have been around when we were coming up, dude? Like uh, that, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, and but that's the thing, man. I think, I think a lot of adults discount that time when you're a kid is like, oh, you don't have any bills to pay. You don't have any real responsibilities. And they discount how hugely important the social aspect is of being a teenager, being a kid, and how that literally shapes your sense of perception, like self-perception and self-identity, um, sometimes for decades, man. Like, I, I talk to some people that are, like, my age, dude, and they're, I'm, like, you know, 41, and I just had a conversation with a dude the other night, and he was stuck on something that happened literally 20 years ago, and he's like, man, I've had that can't believe I did this and I was stuck on that. And this is, this is how he viewed himself, you know, even though he's gone on to be very successful in, in other ways, he was still kind of stuck in this, this place in his mind where he thought that people viewed him one way. Um, and he wasn't able to really kind of discover that it, it's not that important that you move on and you're the only one that is really holding yourself back with that. But Dude, it's a hugely impactful time as a kid, dude. And I think a lot of parents don't really understand how, how important it is to empower your kids to really explore and become themselves. Um, you know, with guidelines, of course, like, I think it's crazy, but. Um, well, it's the programming, crazy. right? I mean, you know, it's your, you know, we're programmed at such a young age. And, and like you said, we're impacted by the things that happen to us, whether, you know, just for myself, like I was a fat kid, right. Yeah. For years, regardless, even though I, you know, I, 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 I lost the weight and I grew and became this person that I like in the mirror. Now it took a long time for me to see that shit, dude. Yeah, dude. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, I, I did all that. And then, uh, the reason that I went to Bud's to be a SEAL was because I wanted to find the hardest thing that I could possibly do to, to test myself. So I was 19 and like, I want to find out who I am, um, you know, as a man, as a person. And uh, that was like the hardest thing I could find. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go try to do this. I didn't know if I could or not. I just trained my ass off and, and um, gave him my best shot. And I was just hoping that what I was willing to put into the program was more than the program was going to ask of me. Um, and thankfully, thankfully I made it through a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work, made it through. So it's a guy for like 10 years and then, uh, got out and started my first business and yeah, it's been a trip, man. So like, I can't even imagine other than just the stories 
that you hear, you know, going through SEAL tra- or going through BUD training. Like, I can't even imagine. I just can't even imagine. So tell me about, tell me about something that you remember specifically where it was one of those times where you were like, fuck, dude, I'm ready to throw the I'm like this time I'm ready to throw the towel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny, dude. Like I, uh, I think everybody has like that one moment where they're like, fuck, maybe I'm going to quit, whatever. Um, everybody's experience of butts completely different. Cause it's a very personal journey. It'll take you right to the edge of like who you are mentally and physically and, you know, force you to kind of face, face your fears in a lot of ways. Um, but for me, there was one time, uh, only one time that I thought about quitting and that was the the very first day. And the reason was is because like I had uh I had read and researched so much about it before I went in. Uh and this is you know before the internet was big, it's nineteen ninety-seven. So like there wasn't a whole lot of info out about it. So I'd read all these books. And I'm like, you know, oh this is how weak, this is what it was. Oh, this is the the centipede centipede fucking swim or whatever like it documents the whole process right it laid it out and i'm like reading about it just like over and over again like visualizing like oh my god what's it going to be like to be in there and then train as hard as i could went through the the selection process got into buds and i remember showing up the first day and it's it's pretty like hardcore when you show up there and i'm like this skinny like you know 19 year old kid i'm like what the fuck am I doing here and you get on the little duck feet on the grinder and they're yelling at you and you're like fucking shit like because that was my first experience with actual navy seals before I'd always just read about them and all of a sudden on the grinder and these dudes are like fucking yelling at me I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking die (laughs) but then um and I questioned it because everybody else in the class was like you know bigger and faster and stronger and more in shape than me and I'm thinking god dude like should I even be here? Like, I'm, I'm not as big as these dudes. I'm not as strong as them. Um, maybe I should just, maybe I should just quit and come back, you know, in a year or so when I'm, when I'm more physically able to, to, to do these things. I just felt super intimidated and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, so I went, I went to bed that night and I'm like, fuck man, like, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I can make it. These guys are way above me and you know, my peer group, and I told myself like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to th- go through the week and at the end of the week, I'm going to evaluate it and see this. And if I still feel this way, then I'll, I'll quit and go try to get bigger and stronger, whatever it is, and then come back. But once I woke up the next morning and went to the evolutions and stood on the feet and had all these people beside me, I was going through getting, getting the uniform. And I felt like a part of the process now It's like, fuck, I'm, I'm actually in Navy SEAL training. Like, the book, the chapters I was reading, like I'm in this story now. And after that, man, like it's not that it wasn't hard. It was just, I was so excited to do every new evolution. I was like, Oh, we got fucking log PT. Oh shit. I read about this. We're like doing with the logs. And, and, uh, it was so exciting to me that I never, it never really crossed my mind to quit to the point where like we would go do it. And right to the point where I was like, fuck man, this is really starting to suck. <laughs> they, they'd stopped the evolution. Um, but it was, I, I think just for me, like the way I prepared myself, I was willing to give this much to the program and the program was asking this much. And, and thankfully I had uh, enough of a gap in there to, to, to make it through. 
So forgive me, evolution, explain to me what that is. Cause I don't know that I know, I don't understand what you mean when you say that. Oh yeah. So basically it's, it's a Navy term for just uh, a thing that you're doing for the day. So if you're doing like log PT, that would be an evolution. Uh, if you're doing an O course, that would be an evolution. It could even be like going to the, the chow hall is like an evolution. So any like task that you have to do as, as a unit, that's an evolution. It's just something that they refer to it as, I think probably to kind of get you in the mindset of like, you know, you're evolving. Sure. Sure. That makes me, it makes total sense. You definitely are fucking evolving. There's no question about that. Yeah. You definitely learn a lot about yourself. (laughs) That's wild, dude. That is absolutely wild. So I have to ask, you know, did the, you know, the books that you read, right. So we can go on the internet, like you said earlier, we can go on the internet now and look at, everything but you know for a long time you know hell week or, or buds we that all that stuff is was very private i yeah. mean it's not something that was readily available and talked about not the real shit of it right there was Unless, a whole lot of information available i think class two three four um they had a whole discovery channel video about it and they they put together like a really like went through every little piece of it. Um, but I was class 219 in 98. So that was like, you know, quite a few years before class 234 video came out. So there wasn't a whole lot of information. I think GI Jane had like was just coming out when I was like in phase or I'd just gone through first phase or something. But yeah, it was kind of, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information. You just kind of had to go for it. That's crazy. That's crazy. I also didn't realize you and I were the same exact age. Yeah, I'm 41 as well. Yeah, I sure am. Yeah. So, all right, cool. So you got out of, uh, so you went through the buds process and then, am I saying that right? Buds or bud? Yeah. Okay. Um, And you stayed in for 10 years. Okay. And so what was next? Attention contractors of the Successful Life podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. Uh, well, after that, so I did, I did three platoons at Team 1. Uh, one before 9-11, it's like nothing's going on two after 9-11, um, and that put me like six and a half years at a team. Then I went and I was a, a buds instructor in third phase for like three and a half years. Ton of fun, but towards the end of that, like the last year, I was debating whether I'm going to get out, whether I'm going to stay in, what am I going to do? If I do get out, like what, like what does that whole process look like? And another uh, team guy friend of mine was also an instructor at the time. We were – drinking and hanging out and partying all the time. And we're like in the same boat. We're like, dude, what are we going to do next? And we came up with this. We actually came up with 12 different ideas on what we're going to do for, you know, a business. And we had no business experience at all. Like we had zero. We had these crazy ideas from like Navy SEAL party planners to like (laughs) all this shit. And um, one of them was a clothing line. That was actually our very last, our very last, uh, business idea that we had. Um, so we went through all the list of them. We're thinking like, okay, you know, a tactical shooting school, all this stuff. And it was just like, 
this costs too much money. This is going to take too much time. This is going to take too much resources. We don't have the assets. So after we filtered all these ideas through like reality, basically we got down to the clothing line idea and we're like, okay, let's, um, let's do it. So we started one up. It was, it was called forge clothing. Uh, so my buddy Mike Sowers and I started, uh, 2007 and, uh, learned a lot through that process. Uh, sold my half of it in 2012 and started a kettlebell company called demon bells. It had like faces on kettlebells. Okay. So we were the first ones to market with that. Um, really cool concept, but dude, super difficult business model. The margins are crazy thin. Like it, it, it's difficult to ship hunks of iron across the country. I mean, there's just so many problems with that, with that business. Um, I started another paraline called disciples of iron and basically I, I sold all those and I was like, you know, what am I going to do next? And I realized that because I've been running production for my apparel line that i got pretty good at interfacing with print shops and doing the logistics and the sizing ratios and the sales trajectory and, and all these, you know, blank selection ink types and all these little tiny things that you don't really think about. And because that was my role in the company, um, I was like, well, I, I can, you know, help other brands do this. And uh, that's how industry threadworks was started. That's my current business. And we, we basically help apparel brands scale up and grow. That's our main, that's our main resource. Okay. So um, when you say apparel, like you, you mentioned that in several businesses, is it like screen print? Is it, tell me about it. Tell me about what kind of apparel, what is it? Is it embroidered? Like what, what, what is it? Yeah, like like literally anything. So we okay. just handle the production process because what it is that the the brands are very creative. You know, like you have to be creative to start an apparel line because you have designs, you have a, you have a vision, you have a message, you want to like get that out there, right? But then on the production side, the print shop doesn't know any of that. So there's a huge there's a huge gap in translation between the creative side of the print shop or the creative side of what the brand wants. And the actual structure of, of what the print shop needs to actually produce that garment. So we essentially speak both languages. So we take what they need. We put it into a language the print shop understands. Um, we do a ton of work on the front end. They screen print everything. We have an embedded QC element within the print shop. Bring it back to us. We QC it again. And now we do fulfillment and customer service and, you know, a bunch of, bunch of other uh, resources outside of just the printing. Um, but our, our main thing is we're a translator between the creative side of the brand and the mechanical side of the print shop to make sure that what the brand wants is actually what gets delivered. Because if you've ever dealt with apparel, dude, it's, it's a massive, like I would say 70% uh, problem rate. Like if you go to order like, you know, a hundred t-shirts or something like that, sure. what you have in your mind or what you think you're going to get and what actually gets delivered is is usually very, very off. And it's because the print shop doesn't understand what you need and the brands don't understand what the print shop needs to actually produce that garment. So we just, we live in the middle as a translator. It's almost like you're the broker, sort of. Kind of yeah. And it's, it's kind of difficult to um, explain because this whole model, like I it didn't exist before I created it. So it's good that we're the first ones to do it, but it's also difficult because um we're having to blaze a trail there is no there is no standard 
pricing structure. There is no standard like set thing for anything. We're having to literally create the entire model from scratch um, as we go. But dude, it's, it's exciting, man. Like this last year we went from um, four people to 14 people in the office. Um, and through that, like my personal journey of entrepreneurship, you know, with my previous brands, I was running them or I was, you know, heavily involved in, in the actual process with my, my hands and everything. And now as we're getting bigger and, and more people on our team, um, I, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like we have people on our team that are better than I was and they took the systems and processes that I created and they made them way, way better. So now if I were to go in there and start poking around, the, the machine breaks. So now I, my job that I was doing doesn't exist anymore. So if I wanted to stay where I was at, like I could do that and we'd have lower overhead and make more net, but um, I would never be able to get past a certain ceiling. And that's one of the big things I learned from the Arite Syndicate was to think bigger. And I realized like, man, um, I've been avoiding having employees for a long time. I didn't want to deal with learning to understand people, uh, the communication, um, the whole thing. But a friend of mine told me years ago, and I didn't believe it at the time, but he told me, it's like, Hey man, like, I know you want to go here, but you also want to avoid having employees and you want to be avoid, you want to avoid being a leader and, and a boss. Like you can only get so big before you're going to have to address these deficiencies and get better at leadership. If you want to build a team to really scale up. And, um, I was like, no, man, like, I'm, I'm just going to outsource these things and do all that. But he was completely right, man. Like, we reached a point where I couldn't get any bigger with me, myself, doing it. Um, and I had to build a team. But to do that, I had to completely just pull away and throw away everything, every skill set that I had personally developed. And I had to start fresh and build an entirely new skill set of, of being a leader, um, which is interesting because even in the SEAL team, like I was not, I was not a leader. I was like a regular E5 machine gunner and a sniper. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in a leadership position at all. Even as a buzz instructor, I was in E6. I wasn't in a leadership position. Um, I avoided it. I didn't want, like, I didn't want the responsibility. I was happy just kind of doing my thing. And it was the same way in business until I got in a syndicate and I was like, fuck man, like, like this is not cutting anymore. I want to go here. And now I'm like, Oh shit, I can't do that by myself. I, I can't do that. I have to completely change everything. And, um, it's, it's been exciting dude, because, uh, as far as like personal growth, I, I, I understand things now that a year and a half ago, two years ago, I would have completely disregarded. Um, my perspective on things has completely changed. Um, Give us a couple examples. Give me a couple examples of like maybe some of those times when you can remember back at a year and a half and you're like, okay, so, you know, um, I guess a defining moment, I guess you could say, what was a defining moment that said, when you said, you know, I've got to, for the lack of better words, I got to hand over my ego to an extent, right? Because we're all, egocentric people all entrepreneurs are to an extent yeah and well, you, have, you have to have an ego if you want to build something big for sure know? for sure. sure absolutely and so you know 
that is that that was you know and i'm not get get into my story but that was what my downfall was with my last business was me yeah my ego i thought i was doing the right thing and and i wasn't i was playing boss and you can't fucking do that you got to be you got to be a, a leader not a boss yeah dude absolutely man and that's that's maybe one of the biggest things i've learned is that for me i define it as like short-term ego and long-term ego mm-hmm. so for me like my my ego now is not built on like you know what kind of car i drive or how much money i make or anything like that my ego is built on i want to build a 300 million dollar business in four years like I, I said five years ago or a year ago i said five years so now it's 300 million dollars in four years and we're we're only at like four million this year around four million so we're nowhere near that but we're on fucking track with it but that's that's where my ego lies right so this is this is long-term ego this is big ego this is like i want to build something fucking massive something big something significant that is fucking world impacting right um but to do that i have to completely let go of my short-term ego so i can't come into the office and be like my way is right or because i say this i have to come into the office and look at my team that, that knows their roles and their responsibilities and the, the very finite aspects of the business, the day-to-day stuff better than I do. And if I have an idea and I'm like, hey, what do you, what do you guys think about this? Let's, it's, what I never do is go, hey, we're going to do this. Let's make it happen. Which everybody thinks like, oh, that's boss. You're going to be boss shit. No, no, no. Because that's short-term ego. And they'll yeah. do it. But at the same time, it'll only get so big and there's a chance it'll, it'll fail and then if you build that culture where people just do what you say and they don't want to, they don't want to rock the boat and they're afraid to say no, um, that's just, that's short term ego. And you'll feel good for like, you know, three months until your business starts to decline. Um, but so what I've found is that I have to absolutely fucking crush that short term ego. And when I go into these meetings now with our team, I tell them like, Hey, here's a big vision. Here's where I want to go. Breaking down by the year, by the quarter. Here's what I'm thinking for this. How are we going to accomplish this? I leave it up to them. Be like, hey, let's let's do this. Or if this thing is not working, let's let's revamp and try this thing. So I let them work out work out the situations, and and they usually come up with better solutions than I do. Then my role is to pick the best solution of what they present. Sometimes it's it's you know my idea. More often than not, um, it's it's their idea. Uh, usually actually it's a, it's a hybrid of, of several people's ideas. Um, but every single time that idea, the hybrids and their ideas are better than anything that I personally could have come up with. So if you have your ego tied up in short term, like I, I got to win every meeting, I got to be the best at every meeting. Like, yeah, you'll, you'll have little wins, you know, in, but they're just in your own mind. They're just in your own ego. That's all you're feeding but you'll never be able to build something fucking big because the only way to get to this point is through people. And you have to have a solid team. You have to have a smart team, competent. You have to have a great culture. You have to have, you have to build something that people want to be a part of, you know, and nobody wants to be a part of something. If the guy in charge is a fucking dick, you know? So it's, it's been, um, for me, segregating between short-term ego and long-term ego has been an easy way to kind of segregate them in my own mind because I still have to have my own drive and want to go build something and go hunt and kill and 
fucking build, you know? But if I bring that in and like, I want to win the meeting, girl, it's over. It's over. Yeah. Because, you know, once you show up as that guy that has to win the meeting, then your people, and I, and you hit on this a second ago, your people, they stop speaking up. Yeah. You know, and that fucking will crush, not in a good way, crush your damn business. Yeah. You know, because your people, what you depend on, and if they're scared to say anything contrary to what you think, you know, what you, what they think you want them to do, well, you've kind of pigeonholed yourself into a, a no win situation. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll, you'll never get better than yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You'll never get better. But dude, in the last year we've had every person that we brought on has made a significant change or contribution to our systems and processes to the point that like every single person has done something that has either like completely 180 reversed our things or reduced our um, inefficiencies by like 60 to 80%. And it's amazing. And these are, these are things that I wouldn't have even seen, but they come in with fresh perspective and we empower them. And one of the first things I tell every employee when they come on, is like, I I built this initially, but this is not the way that we're going to go forward. So you're going to know every part of this business and specifically your role better than I ever will. If you see any inefficiency, if you see something that could be done better, I want you to immediately tear it all apart and recreate it in the, in the better way. And so we, we built our entire culture and our company off that. And it's one of the main reasons that we have been able to build like this massively efficient, just production machine that works like, uh, dude, it's fucking world-class, man. And I, I, I love it. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I am most excited about because it's one of the things that they're most excited about. And as we come into work today and it's like, dude, the fucking energy in here, like I, there's no place else I'd rather be. Like, I don't want to go on vacation. I want to come to work and everybody else, like, you know, they, they, this is where they want to be too, man. Cause we're building something. Together. So, you know, so talk about, talk about the energy portion of it, because I think that's such a huge, huge thing. When, if you've got, you know, a good, uh, if you've got great employees that have a good morale and their energy is really good, you know, you, you just hit on something that I think is so key that a lot of businesses do lack. And you know, when you go into a business, if they lack that energy or not, you know, if the employer or whoever it is, uh, you, you know, if they want to be there and you know, if they don't want to be there because they just don't give a fuck or they really, really do give a fuck. And that's a huge difference in how your business runs. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's one of the biggest things I got out of this last Arate Live event was <clears throat> the realization that <clears throat> my role in the company is, you know, always shifting and changing. But right now, my biggest role is cheerleader for these guys. So when I come in, if I'm – and here's the thing. I have a preface this. Like, my, my natural default – like mentality is very uh, like almost like an engineer, like very, very numbers driven, almost like, like a Vulcan, right? Like that's just how I operate. I don't need extra superfluous. Even when I talk to, to my wife and all this stuff, I'm like right to the point, give me the information I need. I'm going to give you the information you need. No, please. No, thank you. Like you ever seen like the wolf on Pulp Fiction, like 
Exactly. I mean, I've definitely seen Pulp Fiction, which uh, which yeah, I forget the exact quote is, but he's like, uh, the guy's like, well, please would be nice. He's like, hey, I don't have time for please. I don't have time for all this shit. I'm here to get you. I'm here to do a fucking job. So pretty please, to sugar on top, like do your fucking job. So that's my default mentality, right? So that's why I'm, I'm really good at being efficient with stuff. But at the same time, I had to understand that no, nobody else in my team is like that. Not, not my wife, not everybody else. So when I come into the work or the office, um, I'm driving, I'm driving the energy for the day. So if I come in and I'm just like in my, in my lane, not realizing I'm impacting people, I come in, I do my thing, I get information, I go to work, I, I do my thing. And then I, I have meetings and this and that, but it really fucks with the energy in the office because they're not communicating in the way that I am. And if I don't recognize that it's my job to communicate to my team in the ways that they're going to understand me best. It's, it's not, it's not their job to interpret me. Like, sure. I, I have to put out information in a way that they're going to understand it best. And I talk to each person on our team differently, depending on who they are, what their goals are, what's going on in their life. But uh, what I realize is that, if I come into the office and I'm just me, um, it, it fucks up the energy. So now when I come into the office, I'll play um, happy music on the way up there for the last five minutes on my drive here. I'm playing happy music, getting upbeat. So when I come into the office, I'm like, hey, Brian, how's it going? Dude, Jake, fucking warehouse is looking tight, bro. Like, just I spend the extra couple minutes to say hi, to communicate to them in the way that is valuable to them. Because even though for me, you know, I'm just bulking, I want to do my fucking job. For me to grow, I need to meet them where they are. You know, I need to understand that they're looking to me to set the energy, to set the momentum for the business. And it takes me an extra two minutes in the morning to say hi to people and just tell them they're doing a great job and I love having them here. And dude, that changes the energy for the whole day. It really does, man. And it's... I, now that's my job. Now that's my role. It's no longer doing the tech packs and doing the POs and the ordering and stuff. They're like we have people now that are way better than I ever was at that, but it's been a learning process. Cause that is not my, my default state is not to be like this, like, you know, communicator guy. There's was not my, I, I had to really learn that, you know? Sure. I literally had to learn it. Oh, and this is, um, tying back into one of the most impactful things, like in my, my childhood, I was, I was getting at is that, uh, I was a total nerd growing up, dude. Like I did, I didn't understand humor, um, sarcasm. Like I didn't understand sarcasm or irony until I was like 20. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, it was lost to me. Like I was a programmer mindset, like very analytical, very Vulcan. So I had to, I had to literally, um, analyze how to be funny. So I remember in high school, like my friends were funny and I was kind of like, fuck man, like I want to be funny. I want to be liked. Sure. How, how do I do this? So I would literally break down how like they make somebody laugh. I'm like, okay, how, how did they do that? Was it the content of what they were saying? Was it the context of the way they were saying it? Was it their tone? Was it the timing? Was it the visuals? Was it the body language? Like, what was it that made that funny? And um, 
dude, I crashed and burned so many times in high school, like trying to be funny. And like, I thought it was funny and nobody else laughed. <laughs> like, oh, I'm such a shit um, feeling. Dude, I know. Right. Um, but I, I had to like constantly analyze it. Um, like literally break it down by, by numbers and, and, and figure it out. But now, because I did that, that has become one of my biggest assets because I had to kind of learn how to be human essentially. And um, now that I've done that, I can communicate with different people in ways that are effective to them, but also still maintain like a very driven analytical numbers mindset. And that's, what's been able to help us live in the translation period because we understand the brand and the creative side of what they need, but also the mechanical and the analytical side of what the print shop needs to actually produce the garments. Um, and that's why we have the production system we have now that is just a fucking machine, man. Um, but also it's the team. Like these things that I, I created, the team took and just tore them apart and rebuilt them into something that is like literally fucking world-class, dude. Like it doesn't exist anywhere on the planet, the shit that we built. And it's, it's, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of, man. The machine and, and the people that are building it. That's awesome, dude. So tell me, um, all right. So tell me when, like, I, so far, like you've told me, you've done some really like amazing shit. Like you talked about being, oh, I was just a E5, I think is what you said. Well, just an E5, like somebody like me is like, fucking A, like that's a pretty badass motherfucker to be a Navy SEAL to begin with. And then, you know, you carried that on and to build this business when did you feel like, um, you know, because look in business, we fail, we have to fail, you know, there has to be lessons learned. And so what was, I don't know, maybe a super costly mistake that you've made in the past that really sticks out or just a massive fucking flop. Oh yeah. I've got one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, I, I hate using the term failure because it, I, I've done a lot of things. I've tried a lot of things that just didn't work, you know, sure. Sure. But none, of them, none of them were failures. Right. But I think like something that doesn't work only becomes a failure once you stop trying, mm, yeah. you know? Um, so I don't like to use the term failure and also because of mindset, like I just don't, I just don't like having that fucking thing in my head. It's like ringing the bell and hell week to say you quit. Like I just don't even want that fucking thing near me um totally so i personally just don't not not this bad just like sure my personal perspective i try not to use that word because i don't even want it in my fucking mind um lessons i've tried tried a ton of things that just don't work whether we're dumb ideas or you know thankfully i i I quit and stopped doing them um but the one thing that comes to mind with this is when i had the kettlebell company um we were this is 2000, I want to say 10 or 11. And, uh, we were, my business partner and I had a, had a running joke that we had our day jobs and then we volunteered at a clothing line that we were building because <laughs> we wasn't making much money. We weren't like pulling any money out. So, but we're getting all these things. I was learning about business. And so I had this idea. I actually looked for it online. It's like, I want a, skull with a kettlebell handle on it so i can swing it that's just sounds like an awesome idea sounds cool right i'm like so i'm gonna go buy one turns out nobody made them 
So I was like, well, I can't be the only one that, you know, wants this thing. It's pretty neat. So I found a person that could create the molds. We did the weight casting, made um, some samples, the resin cast samples. Looked really cool, but I didn't have anybody produce them. So um, a friend of mine had a contact in China that could get them made. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, the initial order is going to be $60,000. And this is also the time, like, I was going through a breakup with a chick. I, I bought a house with a stripper. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't I that. That, Not a good financial move. Uh, oh, my she God. Was, credit sucks, so. She was on the title, but not the loan documents. Oh, I yeah. That, I thought that would be a good idea for some reason. Um, so I'm going, this house is going to foreclosure. I'm going through all this shit. I'm like $20,000 in credit card debt, like no money to my name, living paycheck to paycheck. And, but I have this idea and I have these resin casts of these really cool, um, we had four different ones, really cool faces on like, you know, kettlebell faces. In fact, I'm going to have somebody go bring one in real quick. Yeah, I was, yes, perfect. Hey, Irving, could you go grab some of those, uh, those resin casts? Uh, not the heavy ones, but the resin cast kettlebells in there. Mm-hmm. The resin cast kettlebells in there. They're under the table. He's going to grab one of his kettlebells. This shit's going to be cool. And um, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, I have no fucking money, like less than no money. I have, I have negative $20,000, but I have this really cool idea. And we have these resin casts. And I think, I was like, I think this idea is going to work. And um, the minimum order we had to put in was going to be $60,000 to put this in. And I'm like, how much do I believe in my own shit? Like, right. How much do I believe in this? Um, so I put the order in and it's going to be three months to get them made. So we had a three month lead time and I had three months to come up with $60,000 to pay for the order. Um, so by the time you're bringing it right out. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So these were, these were them. So, oh man, I love that. Dude, they're, they're so cool, right? I love that's these. That's cool as shit. These are just resins, that's why. I, mean, I was about to say, I was like, man, that looks like it weighs 100 pounds, but not when you lift it up. <laughs> yeah. So I had these, and so I posted them up online, made a website. We're taking pre-orders, said very clearly, like, hey, this is a three-month pre-order, long-ass time, but there's nothing else like it on the market. And uh, it was a huge gamble, dude, because, like, if they didn't sell, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no money. I couldn't cover the 60 grand. I, I, you know, I was negative 20 grand in debt. And um, so, thankfully, we got enough orders to cover um, the pre-orders that came in. And I remember we finally got them off the truck. Big tractor trailer comes in to my buddy's shop. And I go to, there's like seven pallets of these kettlebells in there. And I'm like, yes, my idea is finally here, you know? And I go to pull one out and like, oh, fucking cool. Like, just this flood of emotion, like this big gamble, right? And like, fucking, it's going to work. I pull it out. I'm like, yes. (laughs) And then I'm like, cool. And I pull out the next one and it looks like total shit. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, because they're supposed to be sand caps, which is like very fine, almost like a like old school weight, like old yeah, school yeah. weight. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like old, old pretty smooth. Sure. But, but the second one I pulled out looked like they sand cast with gravel, 
like there was like divots in there and there were spurs on it and it was just like completely fucked up and I'm like holy shit like I can't sell this like what what am I gonna do so through this whole process now um now I've got sixty thousand dollars with kettlebells and I've sold you know I think I sold about 30 percent of them to, to make enough money to, to pay for the pre-order and I'm like holy shit man like so it turns out I got this big tractor trailer full of shit we went we pulled out all of them and we organized them by ones that were good that were sellable and we sold those to customers and fulfilled the orders and we're all good and the two-thirds were like what am I gonna what am I gonna do with these I had no way no way to sell them like they weren't sellable the way they were I was like, shit, man. Um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. Uh, I'm going to grab them. I'm going to have them grab another one. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Could you grab the silver one? It's all metal. Thanks. So what we ended up doing was I, 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 the ones that we couldn't sell, I put them into two categories. Ones were just complete junk that were unsavable that we, there's no way we could fix them. And we just threw them straight in the recycling bin. Like they were oh. just, they're just toast. So like yeah. 30% of the whole order was just, just done, like a total write-off. Um, then the 30% that were in the middle, well, I'm like, okay, I can save these, but they were powder coated. So I had to, but they had like a burr on them, right? So I could, I could grind the burr off, but now I'd have to re-powder coat them. And that's so expensive, like it would cost me more than they were even worth. Right. So I'm like, dude. Oh, yeah. Sorry, this thing's heavy. Yeah, it's this one. Perfect. Oh, that's right. So, you know, it is a fucking kettlebell. So yeah, this this one's real metal. <laughs> so I was like, dude, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna fix these things and then repowder coat them? Like, what what are my options? So what I ended up doing was, I I ground the uh, I ground the powder coating off of them, and so it's raw metal. And then I was able, once I did that, I was able to fix them. Um, so I would take an angle grinder to them. I would hand file them, get all the burrs off, weld up parts of it to fill it in. Um, and this is before the CrossFit Games in 2014, I think. Maybe 12, or whatever it was. So I had a deadline of, like, I had to get these to the CrossFit Games. We had a booth there and, like, big, like, we had to get them there. And uh, so I had a deadline in, like, two weeks. And I had to take like a couple hundred bells and hand grind all the powder coating off them, hand file all the stuff, weld them up, do all the stuff. But the ones that were finished looked way more badass than the original powder coated ones. So I was able to sell them for three times the cost. What? Yeah. So we're selling them for like between, you know, 250 and 450, depending on the size. Sure. And like custom, like custom stamp numbers in them and had a little signature on them. They were like, they would clear coat them. Like they looked badass. That one looked cool as fuck, dude. Right. Yeah. It worked out great. Um, but that was, that was definitely, uh, like if I would have just taken that, that thing and counted as a failure and like, oh, well, I guess, I guess it didn't work. Like, sure. I would have been completely fucked. The whole business would have just failed, but through the process of just, just pushing forward and looking for creative solutions and be like, okay, my original plan wasn't going to work. Here's the assets that I have. How can I plug these assets in to find a solution for these things? Um, and we ended up 
making way more money on those. I found a different supplier here in the U.S. that was able to get them done, like really high quality stuff. And then we, you know, grew that company for a couple of years. And then I, I sold that. That must have been 2012 because I sold that company in 2014. Um, all right. So hold on one second. So when, so, all right. So you had them remade. Now, did you have them remade as the new badass model? Of course you did because it was a fucking 30% more. You could sell them for 30% more. Is that right? Isn't that what you said? Well, we could, but it was so time intensive for me to do that. Um, that I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't have the time to do that. Well, no, I mean the new company, did you have them, did you have them, could, could you have asked them, Hey, design, design the kettlebell the way that uh, the finished product that you had to spend so much time fucking with? Yeah. If I, if I had more time, um, I definitely would have, there's a lot of things I would have done differently with that company. Okay. Um, but I was still building other things on the side and it wasn't my primary focus. I still had a day job and it just, and I honestly, I just didn't know as much as I know about business now. And that's a great idea. I should have done that. I, I wish I would have done something like that. Um, but also it was like, I had to deal with their, like their clear coding and their idea of this thing wasn't really, I didn't have as much control of the process cause I had to have this company on the East coast, go do the whole thing. Sure. Um, so it was, it was very problematic. I, I don't, I don't recommend getting into that business. If anybody's interested in like <laughs> equipment manufacturing, I highly recommend finding something else to do because it was hard, man. Like, like the, these bells, um, each one cost me $5,000 just to get the cast to like bring to market, you know, like five, $5,000 in three months. And then when I got it, the bell cost me like our best selling bell sold for one twenty five. Okay. It cost me $85. So if I, so if I wanted to make 40 bucks, I had to spend 85. Damn. Was, yeah. It was really hard to do that. And then I had to ship these hunks of iron across the United States. Like it was, it was very problematic. And also at that time too, like kettlebells were really like, uh, really popular. And, and there's dudes that like Russian accents that were really getting into like, you know, if you had a Russian accent, you could sell a ton of kettlebells but because I didn't have a Russian accent, nobody wanted to listen to me. So, and dealing with kettlebell people, especially at that time was very difficult. It's just, a, they're difficult people to deal with. So I was, I was happy to get rid of that company. So that's, you know, it's a perfect example of like, you know, your, your back was against the fucking wall in a terrible way. And you had to think outside of the box. And that's yeah. what you have to do in business if you're going to succeed. Yeah. Is you know? dude. Like I had to fucking find a way, man. You know what I mean? Like, had to. Swim. Hell yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, a couple other things. What, you know, what is currently, what would you say? And I know, so the word fear, I fucking hate the word fear, but guess what? We, everybody lives with some sort of fear, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. You don't have to live with it for for uh, longer than two seconds, but we all have some kind of yeah. fear, so to speak. What would be that for you? Oh man! Well, first off, I, I don't think fear is a weakness at all. I think fear fear is like pain. It's it's an indicator of something. Um, it's it's an indicator of something that's either a, a pain point or something that is you're uncomfortable with, um, and it's it's totally fine to to feel pain. It's totally fine to, to feel fear. 
Um, but you also don't want to let that drive your life, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of things I'm afraid of on a daily basis. I'm, I'm afraid of letting my team down. Um, I'm afraid of, you know, I'm afraid of failure. I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, this whole company going under for what, you know, whatever fucking magical reason. Sure. And then, you know, our whole team is looking to me and they trust me in this big vision to build it and like being like, well, fuck now what, you know, that's my biggest fear. Um, sure. I mean, how do you overcome it? How do you overcome that? Because, and I think, you know, if, if I think I know it, if I, if you're going to answer the way I would answer, I would. So go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I think you can do it anyway, man. It's like, there's, there's no point, like you can acknowledge the fear, but there's no point in dwelling on it because the fear itself is just, it's just an indicator. You know what I mean? But you don't have to live by it. It's kind of like a warning sign, you know, like, Hey, don't go above this many revs. Your engine will blow up. Like, okay, cool. The rev limiter is at, you know, 7,000. I'm going to take it at six and a half. Sure. Um, And that's, that's, I'm totally fine with that. That's how you live life. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not interested in fucking idling around my life in the universe. Like I want to go flat out as far and as fast as I can possibly go. Um, Yeah. And with that, you go fast, you risk crashing. You know, it is, but you just got to, just got to pay attention and be a good driver and, you know, listen to the, listen to the car, maintain your engine, maintain all these things. Like, um, but no, man, I think everybody's got a fear of something or fear of, I don't know anybody that's fearless. No. Not at all. Maybe Rob Dirty because his motherfucker like gets bit by sharks and shit. You know, he's, <laughs> that dude, I like, his story blows my mind. But like, so, you know, you know, what, so what, it, I guess, you know, the feel of, the fear of failure, I think probably haunts most people, but you know, there's a certain time when you've got to, you have to, you know, you got to be able to see past that feeling, which is really what fear is. It's your yeah. fucking mind saying that, you know, it, you, you create this vision in your head of what could happen it's not it actually isn't happening mm-hmm. it's it's just a fucking thought yeah right and then you feel whatever that that thought is of whatever it may be crashing your car and then lots of times you fucking follow that path if you continue believing that way yeah yeah man and fear is just one of the, it's and it's usually like the worst case scenario that you're afraid of sure but the worst case scenario rarely happens <clears throat> So if you live your life by like, you know, what if the worst case scenario happens, dude, you'll never get out of bed. But at the same time, if a plane could crash into your house, you know what I mean? Or it's today drive over your lawn and crash. Like plenty of people die in their house. Sure. So I think like it's healthy to, it's healthy to have an understanding of the dangers out there, but also dude, everything's fucking dangerous. And <laughs> You know, you got to just go out and fucking live, dude. And if you die doing what you love, then, you know, what I don't understand is why, why people are so afraid of death, though. That's the thing. It's like, it's like being afraid of the sun coming up in the morning. Like, the sun's going to come up. Like, you're going to die. Like, it doesn't, you're not going to live forever. So, why, I don't understand why people live their life 
in this, this such like little bubble risk mitigation thing where like, I'm just going to save for retirement and then I'm going to go to Boca Raton and spend the last 15 years of my life, like chugging along there. Like, like, great. You, you, you know, reduced your risk a lot, but like, what are you really getting out of that? Like, what, what's your, what's your benefit? Have you really lived a full life? Like, no. I don't know, maybe, but that also depends on what your version of success is. Like, exactly. I think that's the biggest thing. It's the biggest failure that, that people don't do is they, they fail to map out what they really want in life. And especially on social media, they end up chasing like, well, this guy has this car. I want that. This guy has this house. I want that. This guy has this hot wife. I want that without really understanding. Like, do you really give a shit about a house? Um, are you really a car guy? You know, like what is it that defines success for you? And then knowing yourself and then building your life around, um, around that. Tim, Tim Ferriss did a great job of that um, with the four hour work week, kind of like mapping out how you want your life to be sure. and then building a business backwards from that map, um, which is way easier, you know, because I see a lot of times people like they chase success and, you know, monetary success and they get it and dude, they're still fucking miserable. You know, they're not, they're not happy. They, they have more cool shit, but if that's not the stuff that makes them happy, then why spend the effort to go out and get shit that to impress somebody else that you don't even know or care about. Right. Um, or yeah. it's temporary, you know, things, some things like, you know, I'm, you know, if you go out and you buy a new, whatever the fuck it is you want to buy, there's is there some pleasure and some uh fulfillment in that yes temporarily but guess what you know in six months that fucking brand new car is not going to feel it's not going to feel the same it's not going to be the same it's Mm -hmm. just not going to be the fucking same so uh yeah yeah um so, you know, you've mentioned, you know, it depends on what success is for that individual. So for you, if you could try to define what success looks like, um, I know that's a massive question because there's, you know, many areas in our lives that we can would consider success. What would be your one or two biggest things? Yeah, well, for me, it's, it's super easy. And I've, it's because I've known this my whole life. Like I said, I'm very Vulcan. So like, I just, I just want to have the freedom to do whatever the fuck I want to do whenever I want to do it. I want to have the freedom to experience life in any way that I want at the drop of the hat without anybody being able to say no. And I never want me to say, oh, I can't afford that or I can't do that. If I want to go fly up to the fucking North Pole on a G5 and put on an Eskimo suit and take a picture on the fucking a selfie on the North Pole, I want to be able to go do that. You know, I want to have that experience. That would be a cool life experience. Now, I can't afford to do that right now. Absolutely not. But my, my goal is freedom, right? 100%. That, that's, that's the only reason I do anything is the freedom to live my life any way that I want to. Now, money is the only thing that you can basically liquidate that can do anything that you want it to do. It's the most versatile thing for, for any any platform so money by itself is totally useless it's literally either paper or ones and zeros on on a device it's it's fucking useless itself but what you can do with money is whatever you want so that's why i chase money because it's the most direct translation to freedom um, than anything else is so that's why i started this 
but now, um, cause there's, 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 uh, success and then there's fulfillment. Right. Sure. So, and there's, there's sometimes different things. When I first started this journey, I thought that was the same thing. I thought that financial success would give me the freedom and that would give me fulfillment. Um, but it wasn't until like this last year that I realized that the things that actually give me fulfillment are not what I thought they were. So for instance, I bought a, I bought a Lamborghini a couple of years ago and I never thought I'd be able to afford them. It was one of those things that was on the wall and like, it was just something I, I literally never, ever thought I would be able to afford. I just to carry it on a string, like, you know, one day I'll get a Lambo and I actually got one. I was like, holy shit. Like, wow, that was, I actually own this thing. Sure. It was a crazy experience for me, but very, uh, very useful in kind of overcoming what I thought were, you know, limitations. But through that, um, I realized it's, it's just another car, you know, it's cool. But after a while you're like, it's, it became more fun to share that experience with other people mm. than it was driving myself. So I would have like as many of my friends as I could go drive it with me. Cause it was more fun for me to see the expression on their face when they're getting after it and just that, that thrilling exhilaration, um, that was more fun and more fulfilling to me than me even driving it myself. And then I ended up selling that car and then I, I got some other cars that are fun, but I realized through this shift this last year is that for me, that was my carrot. That was my, you know, success metric was the, the, the money equals freedom equals these, these things and experiences of toys. But now that we're building a team, um, it's, it's changed my goals. So I still want to do, you know, freedom is still the number one thing uh, as far as success. But I think my life would be a lot emptier if I achieved freedom to do whatever I want. But it's the sharing that with other people that brings me fulfillment. So how that translates into my business now is I want to build a $300 million business that employs a ton of people that they have a great fucking time working here that they're impacting. And like, I tell my team, like what we do is not print t-shirts. Like we help our clients build their dreams. Like we help our clients take this concept, this, this image in their head, create a product, scale it, sell it, tell their, tell their boss they're quitting and, and, you know, build this life for themselves as entrepreneurs. Like, we help our clients build our dreams and that's what our people do. We don't, we don't print t-shirts and I tell them that all the time and I love it here. And I, I think, I think they do too. And we hear it all the time from them. Like we have one of our people, you know, turn down a job at SpaceX to, to work with us here. Wow. Um, because of the, of the culture that we have and, and the drive and the vision and where we're going and literally what we do. It's not, it's not just printing t-shirts. Um, but what I want to do is I want to have more people be able to share in that. And the more people we can help build their dreams, the more we can impact the world and help people find their own version of success and freedom. So that to me, if I can do that, then I can get my, my freedom and my fulfillment. So that, that's where I'm trying to go fucking love that answer because you know you you and and that was such a great that was actually a really um perfect answer because people don't think about when they think of well you know he, he xyz is worth whatever well we'll just take andy for example right so andy owns a bunch of fucking cars and da, da, da. 
but he also provides a bunch of fucking yeah. jobs and he yeah. also provides uh you know supplements like your t-shirts that help a whole bunch of people right. and your t-shirts you know or or whatever it is you're printing on if you boil it all the way down you you're keeping people warm when it's cold at times you know there's a it goes way down the line not just yeah. like you said not just printing a t-shirt well like like for instance like take the shirt you're wearing right now like the air t-shirt like you're you're being you're becoming a part of something that you feel is bigger than yourself and you feel empowered when you're part of the symbol every brand is like that every brand is a lifestyle when you put on a t-shirt you're being a part of something you know it's belonging um and i think if you can create that community for people that right there even the t-shirt that you choose to put on for the day means that you're a part of this tribe you're part of this community this is what you believe in this is what you represent um so i i find just that fascinating and and dude i just love every aspect of what we're doing man like, and I'm, I'm a t-shirt nerd at heart. Like this is, I, I research all the nuance of all this little, little shit. Um, but at the end of it, man, like it's about connecting people sure. and, and having people be connected to each other and part of the community. Absolutely. Dude. Yeah. And you're right. You know, when you put on whatever it is you're putting on, whether it be a name brand jeans or the shirt or for maybe a, if you're a lady purse, whatever it is, you know, it puts you in, it's, it goes back to mindset, right? Yes. It creates this mindset that I'm going to go out and fucking kill it today, yes. right? Because, and it's not because you think, oh, well, I put it on the shirt, so now I can go kill it. If there's a mental shift when you, when I put on this shirt, yeah. I feel unstoppable. It's an identity. Absolutely. Yeah. That's same Absolutely. thing with tattoos, man. That, that's what I tell people. Like a, a t-shirt is a tattoo you wear for the day. Like this is, the, I got these because I want people to know how I view myself. Sure. You know I mean? Like I, I, this is how I see myself and I wanted to look on the outside the way I feel on the inside. So a t-shirt is, is literally like, it's literally like a tattoo you wear for the day. Like this is who I am. This is what I represent. I'm about this. And that might change, you know, maybe we'll wear a pink t-shirt tomorrow and I'm a, I'm about touchy feely or whatever. <laughs> But if that's what I'm feeling, that's what I'm going to do. But it's nice to have that, that kind of, uh, you know, mobility with, with how you're presenting yourself. I think t-shirts are a great medium to do that. And they're, they're fun. You get to be creative. And I, I just really enjoy all of the little nuanced stuff. That's awesome. So I, I should have mentioned this earlier. When I was, I guess I was 16. And it wasn't, wasn't my first job. It was, I don't know what job what number it was but for i don't know maybe a year while i was in high school i fucking went to a print shop and and i don't know if it's this way now or not but you know it looked like a it looked like a a, a um like a ferris wheel turned mm -hmm. up on its side yeah. you know and do like one slight as you know one slight fucking mo i mean slight movement you're you fucked the whole design up. Yeah. Yeah. The registration, there's so much that goes into it. And it's, and also too, like it, it's more of an art form than a science too, because you can take the same print to five different print shops and the same, the same art files, same everything and get five completely different outputs on the t-shirt because 
the ink styles would be different and the different inks react with the different materials in there differently. Even the different colors in the materials, like different inks, colors react with different material colors. Like it's so nuanced. And then the screens have to be burned at a very specific mesh count. And even the squeegee that comes down, this has a specific radius at a specific angle with the pressure, how many times you go over it, whether you do a flash on it, it, it gets like really, really in depth. And that's why it's super important to have a shop that has the experience to know like, Hey, this is how you want the print to come out. We need to do these processes to make sure that's actually what, what it looks like on the back end. But people don't understand. They think, well, I'm just gonna go to the corner print shop and get it done for cheaper. I'm like, well, you get something done. It's probably right. what you want. Right. Or ordering it off of the place. I can't think. Oh, Vistaprint. Like, yeah. I just don't. I, why the fuck would you order a t-shirt from Vistaprint? I don't understand. Yeah. Well, it's super convenient, man. You know, that, especially for yes. one-off stuff. Yeah. We don't, like for setup fees, like for instance, this one is a two-color print. So if we're doing like one t-shirt on this, um, we'd have to pay you know, 50 bucks for a setup fee on that, probably right. 75. Um, so if we print one t-shirt, it's like an $80 t-shirt, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. But now if we amortize that over, you know, a hundred shirts, that's, you know, what is that? Eight bucks or something like that setup fee. Now a thousand shirts is eight cents. So right. it, it, that's why volume plays such a huge role in screen printing is because you've got three things that, that make up, the main cost you got the, the style of blank that you want the cost of the blank um you got the number of print locations and you got the total volume and the volume can make you know a 12 dollar shirt turn into a six dollar shirt at just at massive volume sure uh, so it, there's so much that goes into it man but i like i said my mindset from the start is like very analytical and numbers oriented so like what you see on the front end of like our social media and our website on the back end, dude, it's like, it's like the fucking matrix, dude. There's all these things going on. <laughs> I, I love it, man. I geek That's out on stuff. fucking awesome. Um, so I guess we should probably wrap up. Um, I feel like there's one more thing. I'm just looking, you know, uh, I guess the biggest thing is what contributed, like, what would you say is the number one thing that, uh, that contributed to what makes you who you are today? Honestly, just constant, constant progression, um, constantly learning and trying to improve and not, not resting on what I did in the past and recognizing that if I want to, if I want to grow and build and do shit at a world-class massive level, I'm not good enough to do that yet. I'm not, smart enough. I'm not, you know, the best leader. There's holes in my game everywhere. We're really good at a few things now, but we're not nearly at the level I'm going to need to be personally to lead a $300 million company. You know, I'm not, but I will be in four years. And, um, and it's the same thing. Like I don't, I don't talk much about being a team guy. Like this is the most I've talked about team guy stuff in probably like a year. Um, because for me, like, it's something that I did and it was, it was impactful in, you know, shaping my vision of myself. Um, but it's not, it doesn't really help me in my day to day in this business now. And it's not really relevant to a lot of conversations I have these days. So I don't usually mention it. Um, 
and like, but here, here's the thing. It's about constant progression. So like, I want Navy SEAL to be a footnote on my tombstone, not the headline. Sure. Does that make sense? Like I yeah. never, I always want to be doing more and bigger and better and, and getting better and getting, getting fitter, getting faster, you know, it's never good enough. It's never good enough. And it's not to say like Ed talks about this, like it's not to say that I'm unhappy where I'm at. Like I'm, I think I'm a, I think I'm a really good person. My wife is fantastic. Like we have two dogs and two cats and they're all rescues. And like, I fucking love our fur family, dude. I love our work family. I fucking love life, dude. Like we have a great fucking life now. If I unplug now, I'm happy with the life I've lived. Cool. It's not all I want to do though. You know what I mean? I still have all these things I want to go do and build and see and experience. Um, but at the same time, like if I had to punch out today, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I, I think I did as much as I could with, you know, the opportunities I had, I probably left a lot on the table, but that's what I'm trying to make up for now. And just, you know, like Ed says, max out the version of, you know, who, who I could potentially be. So. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I don't know where I'm going, but Jesus, I just don't want to stay the same. Talk about yeah, no. my, my fear is to fucking have some place in my past be the best I'll ever be. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I've never really looked at it that way, but you're right. You're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, that's really fucking cool, dude. I really appreciate you dude, taking out the time. You know how long we've been talking, but like, I've enjoyed it. Dude. It's been awesome. Dude. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Dude, like, I'm for sure. This. Thanks I love it. Absolutely. Sorry about the email, but, uh, yeah, last night I was like, God, it was for me, it was late. Like I got to bed at like eight 30 and get up at like four. So Dude, I, was, yeah, I guess your message is like two 30 this morning, bro. I'm like, <laughs> shit, you're grinding. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's when it, well, so I got to get set up for the day. Right. Like, I mean, we have, man, I don't know if you went through 75 hard or not, but you know, I still read and I still go through a journal every single morning. Mm-hmm. And I do that because I know what it's going to produce for me for that day. And yeah. I also know if I don't do that shit, what it's going to produce for me for that day, which is shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, well, dude, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, of course I'll personally let you know when it's gonna, um, when the whole, when the podcast is going to drop, I've got to do whatever I got to do on the back end and, all that good yeah. stuff, but man, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. It was awesome, dude. Great talking, to you, man. I, I, every time I got to do more of these because I find that like every time I do, like even through our conversation here, I'm realizing, like, I'm putting together thoughts in my own mind. Like, fuck, that's why I do that, or that's why I think that. That I wouldn't, if we didn't have this conversation, I, I would have gone through the rest of my life without even realizing that shit. So. Yeah, man. I appreciate the conversation. It's the universe, brother. It's the fucking universe. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right, my man. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much. If you need anything from me, by all means, reach out. I'll do whatever I can for you. Awesome, man. Same. All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Later. Later, dude. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination.
Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.